0: Buy four tires at Bell Tires 4th of July sale and get up to $220 in savings or get even more with up to $280 in savings with Bell Tire gift cards. June 22nd through July 3rd. Plus, get tires as low as $29 and 0% financing for 12 months. Buy four tires and get up to 220 in savings or up to 280 in savings with Bell Tire gift cards. Either way, start with the lowest tire price period at Bell Tire. Contact free service available. See store or belltire.com for details. Restrictions apply. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at lesliemarshallshow.com. Call in with your thoughts at
1: 888-6-LESLIE. I would like us to continue in September. I doubt the map would be that much different than 7th grade. Especially first quarter in the fall. They often do somewhat of a review. Now, you're free. How you doing? Happy Tuesday. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy in talks on this Tuesday. We have a great guest joining us a little later in the program. I want to thank you for listening to us on our live stream on radio on podcast or watching us on Twitter's Periscope, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, LinkedIn Live. We really appreciate your support of the program. So let's uh, kick it and check what's ripped. Former President Obama today yesterday excuse me said that Congress needs to pass voting rights legislation and they need to do it before the 2022 midterm elections or American democracy could be at risk. Here's what the former president said. Quote, we can't wait until the next election because if we have the same kinds of shenanigans that brought about January 6, if we have that for a couple more election cycles, we're going to have real problems in terms of our democracy long term. By the way, folks, approximately 30% of voters believe the election was stolen and that Trump will be Uh, you know, you know, re-bestowed into his proper place on the throne in the Oval Office in August. But some are kind of scratching their heads because he's going to be doing a speaking tour with Bill O'Reilly. So how's he actually going to be back on the throne if he's speaking? Anyway, speaking of speaking, speaking on a call with grassroots supporters alongside former Attorney General Eric Holder, the former President Obama said the debate over the voting rights bill known as for the People Act, was worth it for him to engage in political debate, even as a former president. He went on to say, quote, since I left office, I've tried to make a policy not to weigh in on the day-to-day scrum in Washington. But that's what's happening this week. It's more than just a partisan bill coming up or, or not coming up to a vote. Now, This Democratic voting rights proposal passed the House back in March. It is due this week to come under consideration by the Senate. The bill does not have enough support to overcome a filibuster. That would require the 10 GOP senators to back it. Now, no Republicans are supporting the measure they've cast as a Democratic power grab, uh, but they are pushing the bill through. It's an effort to highlight Republican opposition. There have been changes that have been made to the bill at the request of Senator Joe Manchin, the uh, Democrat wrapped in a red cape sometimes in West Virginia, when the most conservative member of the Democratic caucus. Former president said those changes were made by the most conservative Democrat in the Senate, or maybe in Congress, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, to come up with common sense reforms that a majority of Americans agree with, that Democrats and Republicans can't agree with. Now, by the way, behind closed doors, Republicans said they would support this, didn't they? They had, what, about a half a dozen? Maybe not get to ten? What do we see? I don't know which Mitch, I don't, what does Mitch McConnell have on these people? Seriously, I have never in my life seen such, uh, you know, blind loyalty uh, to not just a party. I mean, over your constituents, Joe Manchin, by the way, the Democratic original proposal without the changes he made uh, was loved, liked, wanted, desired by a majority of his people, the state he represents, West Virginia. By the way, majority of Americans support it too. And uh, Republicans don't care what you, the voter, want. They care about what Mitch McConnell wants and what Donald Trump wants. That's what it comes down to. Really, that's what it comes down to. Look at what they did to Liz Cheney. They always talk about uh, Democrats and cancel culture, please. Uh, anyway, uh, Manchin is not committed to supporting the bill. Uh, he released a laundry list of voting rights initiatives he supports, for which he received generally a positive response uh, from all of the Democrats in his party. Now, the bill's original text focuses on an, access, uh, an expansion of access to voting provisions to require states to enact a minimum of 15 days of early voting, and simplifying registration. Now, the bill will also overhaul campaign finance, set standards for redrawing electoral maps. Manchin has voiced support for several of the voting access provisions and um, the ban on partisan gerrymandering, He is on the record in opposition to the bill because he said it's too broad and, of course, because he said it's not bipartisan, doesn't lack, doesn't have, it lacks the Republican support. But he is open to the door uh, to supporting an amended bill, and that would include some of the priorities from Republicans, leaving the possibility of the bill going down in a 50-50 vote. So left with few other options, Democrats are pushing for that. They're pushing for that very result. They believe it will highlight the Republicans, uh, you know, uh, the, the Republicans' gridlock uh, the the potential to shake up that gridlock in the Senate. Um, look, this is, what the, this is what Holder said, former Attorney General, on that call with former President Obama. Quote, despite what you may have heard, we believe there is a path forward for this bill to get passed. He's now chairman, by the way, of the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, and they organized the call. Now, former president took shots at the filibuster, the Senate rule that mandates a 60-vote threshold for a bill to receive a final vote in the upper chamber. And by the way, you know, I have to say, I've kind of been... You know, flip flopping myself on the filibuster because one, you know, the reason you have fifty, you have a hundred two senators from each state, right? Is that each state has equal representation, and, and and despite its population, you have two senators, right? So the 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 bottom line is that it, why do you need sixty? It should be fifty one. <laughs> You know what I mean? It should be 51. The reason you have a tiebreaker by the vice president, by the party elected to be in the White House with their plus one, if you will, on the ticket is not because of a filibuster. What does the filibuster do? The filibuster allows the party in the minority to try and stop the party in the majority. And that just goes against the elections having uh, consequences, doesn't it? Mark, I don't know how to pull up what you just sent me, to be honest with you. It popped up. Maybe you could pop it up again, because uh, I know ha- we have some uh, breaking rules, uh, I mean, excuse me, breaking news on this. But I, I have to tell you what really, what the thing that also bothers me is Democrats are in power now, but Republicans are in power. If you nix the filibuster, well, then you're, you know, shooting yourself in the foot later. Uh, Marky Mark, can you resend uh, whatever you sent me? I don't know how to access it. No. Can't hear me? Okay. Oh, here it is. Thank you very much. We have some breaking news. Senator Joe Manchin will vote to move to debate on voting rights legislation, the For the People Act. It's a real step forward, by the way. This means that something like his compromise could pass the Senate if the filibuster were ended. That should force a debate on the real consequences of keeping the filibuster. OK, so this is a, this is a big deal. This is a, a good deal. And Joe Manchin is finally acting like he's part of the Democratic Party. Uh, Progressives, by the way, have called to nix the filibuster because Republican opposition has uh, slowed the president's uh, legislative agenda. The majority of the uh, voters will, and uh, certainly the majority in rule of House and the Senate's will. Centrists like Manchin do continue to defend the filibuster as a guarantor of political minority rights. And he's right when Democrats aren't in power because power shifts. We know that, right? Republicans, Democrats, they both get it and they both lose it. Obama said the filibuster is not in the Constitution. He is correct on that. He would be. It's a constitutional though It was a constitutional lawyer. It allows a determined minority of senators to block legislation supported by the vast majority of Americans. Now, Additionally, more than 480 state lawmakers from all 50 states signed on to a letter urging Democrats in Congress to pass federal voting rights legislation because they plead, we are out of options, we need your help. Let's rip another. Here is audio of Senator John Hickenlooper uh, and uh, reminding everyone that the vote in the Senate today is the beginning of a very long fight on voting rights. Take a listen.
2: Should that be a bill that's part of also how voting works or should you have that as a separate up or down vote? I mean, that's sort of
1: the other thing is,
2: is is, H.R. 1 too big? You know, should you be tackling
0: these piecemeal, uh, one piece at a time? Uh, again, I think we're going to be faced, we will have to go back. If if you're correct, and being the optimist I am, I'm I'm still hoping that we'll get 10 Republicans that will allow us to debate these issues uh, on the floor. If that doesn't happen, then we're going to have to go back and, and start from scratch. And and at that point, maybe we do take the crucial components of voting rights and, and take mm-hmm. them one at a time. The, the key is... We've got 34 states uh, where their uh, state legislatures are voting to restrict voting access. That's not good for this country, not good for a democracy.
1: Absolutely not. Democrats will force Republicans to vote on every piece of For the People Act if they filibuster that bill today. I'm a pessimist. I imagine they will. Senator John Hickenlooper, as you know, is a Democrat from the great state of Colorado. I say Rieto because I always say Colorado, being from Massachusetts. I'm Leslie Marshall. Quick break. When we come back, rest of what's ripped from the headlines. Our guests later on don't go away.
0: If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets.
1: I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only true to democracy and talk. Our guests will be joining us a little later, but let's continue. Oh, and if my microphone were close, that'd be helpful, right? Uh, let's continue with what's ripped from the headlines. Senate negotiators for the bipartisan infrastructure bill are trying to create momentum for a too-big-to-fail package by adding an equal number of both Democratic and Republican co-sponsors, Axios has learned. Now, why does this matter? White House officials are pleased with how the talks are proceeding and are discussing how President Biden might declare his support for the roughly $1.2 trillion package if the remaining issues are resolved. Now, The president hosted Senators Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, and Kirsten Sinema, Democrat from Arizona, separately at the White House yesterday. And the president told them that he was encouraged by what has taken shape, but that he still has questions about the policy as well as the means for financing the bipartisan group's proposal. That's according to a White House official. The president also made clear that he is, at the same time, focused on budget resolution discussions in the Senate. According to that official as well, a group of legislative directors for the G20 bipartisan group of senators plan to further discuss the details of the proposal among themselves today. And that's according to sources familiar with that meeting who also reported that to Axios. Here's the big picture on this. Members of the G20 emerged from the Senate hideaway office of Senator Rob Portman. Republican from Ohio yesterday at night, last night, and they expressed confidence that they could have a deal. So look, if they can do infrastructure, they can do voting rights. The problem is Republicans don't really want to do voting rights as much because it doesn't benefit them. I mean, look at the legislation in these states by fellow Republicans. What are they trying to do? They're trying to make it harder for people who normally vote Democratic, especially those in minority communities, to vote by removing ballot boxes, not allowing people to vote on Sunday morning when that may be the only time that you can vote. I mean, hello, not everybody goes to church on Sunday morning. Not everybody goes to church. And not everybody goes to church and to church. Some people just drop to their knees at home and you know talk to the good Lord without having the stained glass windows. So um, uh, Susan Collins says, quote, we are making significant progress, but it's not over until it's over. Then again, I don't believe anything she says. The other side, progressives remain leery and are aiming for much more spending, potentially in multiple packages. And uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who I do believe a Democrat from Massachusetts, my home state, says, quote, make no mistake, I'm not voting for some bipartisan deal until I see every other part of the infrastructure package and know that in total we have what we need. Uh, she said we're not going to have an infrastructure package that when the train leaves the station, child care is left on the platform, along with the clean energy and other uh, priorities. Uh, here's what driving driving the news on this. Several additional senators from both parties are expected to come out in favor of this bipartisan package this week. The key to employ a one and one or Noah's Ark strategy in which each supporter would bring a colleague from the other party to build Republican and Democratic support for the package equally. By the way, this would be incredible if Democrats and Republicans did this, not only for infrastructure because it's a huge job creator. It actually would help Joe Biden. Uh, it helps our economy, it helps people out there who want, you know, better paying jobs and are saying, you know, it's not the unemployment, it's that I don't want to get paid, you know, like $7 and change an hour uh, working at a fast food place. And, and, and then in addition to that, it would help uh, congressional members in, in the House and the Senate because they are so they're viewed so unfavorably when you look at the polls by the voters. So the goal here is to shift the focus to the number of Republicans getting on board as opposed to questions about how many Democrats, particularly progressives, will be lost through these bipartisan negotiations. They went from 10 to 21 supporters pretty fast. They think there were others interested, at least Senator Angus King, an independent in Maine. Well, that's what he is saying. He said, I think that's an important part of the dynamics of the group, that it not be viewed as slanted one side or another, because... Infrastructure is something we all need for right out lot. We need clean water. We need a, a reliable, uh, updated power grid. Uh, we need broadband. Uh, we we need our roads and bridges uh, not to be falling apart. So here's what we're hearing: less moderate Democrats are also being sold on the notion that every dollar President Biden gets here is one dollar less that he has to spend on reconciliation. And the president's support for the deal isn't assured. Both sides have yet to agree. How do you pay for the additional spending? White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki emphasized yesterday that increased money from IRS enforcement could be the easier way to find additional revenue. She also didn't rule out paying for some of the package with deficit spending. The White House is still committed to the corporate and personal tax increases that it proposed back in April. It likely will pursue those in a parallel package. It's expected to push through the partisan recollection process. Here's what to watch. Time is running out on this. Leaders on both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue are growing impatient. This is the Senate's Last week in session before a two week recess to mark July 4th. And when the senators return in a couple of weeks, they'll have only three weeks to meet the deadline that was set by both the White House and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer of uh, uh, voting on an infrastructure bill by August. So they got to be smart. Schumer and the Senate Budget Committee, they are. They're moving forward with a backup plan just in case. Let's rip another. Yesterday, a federal appeals court blocked a judge's ruling that overturned California's 30-year assault weapons ban. Uh, U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez ruled earlier this month that the ban was unconstitutional. It likened the AR-15 to a Swiss Army knight. But the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, a very liberal court, uh, has now granted a stay pending appeal. Now, this state issued by the now three judge panel is pending decisions in other gun cases that are now before the court. According to the L.A. Times, California has one of the lowest firearm mortality rates in the United States. Can I say that again? For people that say, what good does gun control or gun measures do? California has, and I live here, one of the lowest firearm mortality rates in the United States. Both the governor, Gavin Newsom, and Attorney General Rob Bonta cited this fact as proof that the state's law has uh, worked. And Bonta, who filed the appeal against Benitez's ruling, welcomed the judge's decision in a statement issued to Twitter, pledging that he, quote, won't stop defending these life-saving laws. Thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, We will uh, rip uh, another now. Take a listen. This is the Las Vegas Raiders defensive end, Carl... Naseeb. Is it Naseeb? You know, I'm not a sports person. Uh, Yeah, come out as gay. And I saw this yesterday. This was touching. And I just want to say for the record, this was brave. Take a listen.
3: What's up, people? I'm Carl Nassib. I'm at my house here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. Um, I really have the best life. I got the best family, friends and job a guy could ask for. Um, I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. Um, I just think that representation and visibility are so important. Um, I actually hope that like one day, videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. Um, But until then, you know, I'm gonna do my best and do my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting, that's compassionate. And I'm gonna start by donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project. They're an incredible organization. They're the number one, suicide prevention service for LGBTQ youth in America and they're truly doing incredible things and I'm very excited to be a part of it to help in any way that I can and I'm really pumped to see what the future holds Uh, that's all I have for you guys I hope you have a great day
1: just matter of factly as it should be as it should be I remember my children were watching bohemian rhapsody with us My husband and I paused after Freddie Mercury's character, or Freddie, the character played by uh, Rami Malek, um, you know, kissed a guy. We paused and we said, "Okay, kids, we want to discuss this with you." And they looked at us and they're like, "What's their disgust? They're gay. They're two guys and they're kissing." Absolutely, because we grew up in a different time, and my kids have grown up in a, a are growing up, thankfully in a more tolerant time. I'm Leslie Marshall. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna talk with our guest. I hope you'll stick around here on The Only True Democracy and talk. Uh, keep uh, joining us, you can join us in other ways, at Leslie Marshall Talker on Instagram, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the Leslie Marshall Show on Twitter, at Leslie Marshall, and LinkedIn, at Leslie Marshall as well. We're gonna take a break, and we will be back right after this. And I'm gonna take care of my dog, who is trying to attack The Exterminator, we advance, we'll be back. We are back, happy Tuesday, I'm Leslie Marshall. I'm so glad to have this guy with us because he is an investigative journalist for Right Wing Watch. I adore their tweets. I adore what they do. And as a liberal, well, I you know appreciate the watch of those on the right. They're a project for People for the American Way. They're dedicated to monitoring and exposing the activities and rhetoric of right-wing activists and organizations in order to expose their extreme agenda. Check out the website, rightwingwatch.org. Like I said, investigative journalist for Right Wing Watch. Our guest today is Kareem Zadam. Hi, Kareem. Thank you for joining us and welcome.
2: Hi, Leslie. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on today.
1: Yeah, and it's a, it's a pleasure. And I mean that. I love uh, you can see how many retweets I have of uh, you guys' <laughs> stuff as long as I'm looking, you know, when you're posting. Um, let, let's talk about the digital far right, because a lot of things that led up to January 6th were the ability to misinform, to brainwash, communicate. And gather almost like you know in a gang, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know through uh, you know di- digital means um it, it, you know we're we're learning right now that some of this appears clearly to i think it had to right clearly obviously to have been planned beforehand what is your investigative reporting uh, and research found so, uh, so far with regard to how much stuff was planned how much of that was very visible online known perhaps by authorities like the FBI uh, prior to what occurred on January 6 prior to the insurrection
2: well, honestly, if we're talking specifically about misinformation and really just just a deluge of, of stuff that we've seen over the past few months, really, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but it's been obvious for a very long time. I'll take QAnon as a, as a great example here. Now, QAnon groups have been ignored on Facebook and Instagram, et cetera, since... I mean, since, since it started, really. Sure, it started on 8 Con and 4chan, but it quickly emerged into the mainstream and was widely accessible on Twitter, Facebook. You had all these tons of large groups. And, of course, information... I mean, you have something with the size and capacity of Facebook. It's easy to spread misinformation. It's easy to spread any information, actually. And it's easy for people to gather and create these little echo chambers for themselves. And unfortunately with the way uh, Facebook's algorithm works in the first place, lots of people who didn't necessarily like even care about QAnon ended up seeing stuff like this and ended up being to a certain extent radicalized by what we saw. So really there was a lot of that in the mainstream. Like, I, I would venture to say that had we not, had had Facebook and Twitter and Instagram intervened earlier on Sure, we saw all the deplatforming happen you know, in the lead up or just following the uh, the presidential election and in the lead up to the insurrection, just post the insurrection. But truly, had we seen this happen in 2018, we might not have been dealing with a QAnon the size that it is right now. We would not be dealing with this massive digital cult that we're dealing with right now. Had it been sort of culled from the beginning, had it been uh, monitored correctly, regulated correctly. And I really emphasize monitoring here because most people seem to act as if this suddenly emerged in 2020. Yeah. Or how did this happen? What I always what really disappointed me was seeing the question, how did this happen? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? It was around you. You just treated it like it was a joke for so long. That's the problem here. It's not, and it's nothing else. They 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 saw these platforms accessible to them, and that's what they went and did. So, of course, a lot of this was was obvious. A lot of the radicalization that led to them this nationalistic fervor and this uh, this uh, racial tension, all sorts of things, and sort of political divide, and uh, schism that we saw as well, all was built up over a series of years. It wasn't necessarily uh, Im- immediately planned. And of course we did see plans for the insurrection. We saw it on parlor. we saw it on Twitter, we saw rallying calls, we saw people building up to events, we saw people calling for people to go to the streets, to be violent if needed, to defend their country. All this sort of coded language calling on people to protect what is theirs, basically. So, of course, a lot of it was absolutely planned. And this is to a large point, the fault of these mainstream social platforms like Facebook and Twitter.
1: I I want to talk, you know, we talk about planning before. okay, but in the months since the insurrection, um, is it fair to say that this far right group of people continues to shift and evolve? And if so, how?
2: Oh, I'd say, Leslie, it's been a fascinating eight months to say. I mean, I say fascinating, of course, as a, uh, as a as an investigator and as a reporter, mainly because it's just incredible to see things move at the speed they have and evolve at, at the rate it has been evolving. But other than that, it's been quite, of course, chilling and terrifying, I think, are the terms that we should really be using here, because we've seen the far right go from mainstream platforms. And as they become the platform, they found alternative platforms that are still serving their purposes.
1: No, do you I'll think then? You do you think then? Facebook, Twitter, for example, uh, and Google removing Parler uh, made it easier for these people and stoked the flames of their anger by uh, take by not having it in plain sight anymore.
2: Well, it definitely gave them a cause to unite. This idea of uh, we're being censored, we're being deplatformed. Well, that was a real unifying force for a lot of the a lot of the far right, who saw this as the as the fight that's happening. They saw this as a direct attack on themselves. Therefore, they're able to unite against this sort of big tech, big corporation mentality that was going on. So yes, that was what they did with Facebook and Twitter and. Funnily enough, moving them off Facebook and Twitter and and just mainstream like uh, platforms in general onto Parler was the beginning of them having to really use a lot more cunning and intelligence and evolve a little bit in how they handle social media. So once Parlor didn't really Parlor's heyday didn't really last very long, did it? So Parler really did emerge. In the lead up to the uh, presidential election, I'm mean, sure it was around beforehand, I'm just saying when it became significant, it was in the lead up to the most recent presidential election and during the insurrection. Of course, its collapse came shortly thereafter with its removal from Apple, from Google and Amazon Web uh, Cloud Services removing it entirely, making it very difficult for Parler to, to function at all. And as people realized that, okay, Parler's clearly not gonna work, they found a lot of other alternatives that have been very useful to them. To name just a few, there's Gab, which is again a, a similar Twitter alternative, but really specifically known for the far right and extremists. Like nobody's using Gab just because they don't like Twitter. That's just not how it works. Uh, Telegram is an interesting platform as well because it provides both end to end encrypted messaging. You can create pages on it and it's very similar to sort of Facebook pages and communicate with followers. Or you can have these large chat rooms in it as well. So Telegram is really this very Interesting platform that allows for a lot of different uh, ways of interacting with people. And of course, a lot of the far right have already moved on to there and have well over 100,000 followers. There are tons wow. of QAnon pages on there as well on Telegram that have well over 100,000 followers easily. There's quite a few that I've been monitoring recently. And of course, Telegram hasn't exactly, Telegram is, is a platform that believes in free speech. Pavel Durov, who founded Telegram, was Russian. He fought with the Russian government, ended up leaving Russia over Telegram and over this idea that he was not going to bow down to the government, was not going to hand them over data, etc. So it did become a tool useful for actually pro-democracy movements in Iran, uh, in the Belarus during the protests, Hong Kong. I've seen it used in Egypt etc. So Telegram does have its uses. This is not to suggest that Telegram overall is a terrible application, but unfortunately, absolutely harbors the far right, and it harbors extremists of all kinds across the spectrum internationally, including ISIS. This is what it was really first known for, was for harboring ISIS, uh, ISIS the terrorists in general. And Telegram actually faced so much pressure internationally that they ended up having to work with Interpol to to sort of... uh, eliminate as many of these uh, pages as they could so to, to for the most part telegram has has the potential to to to, uh, uh, to sort of play both play both parts yeah. play both sides that's that's kind of the interesting thing with it we've seen it actually be pressured by Google and Apple as well for instance telegram now the version that's on Apple and Google uh, a lot of the pages for the, a lot of the far right and extremist pages, you won't be able to see them on your apple device that doesn't mean they don't exist anymore but you simply cannot see them on an apple device i have both an apple device and an android device in front of me the android device once you can download telegram from their official website onto your android device circumventing then google and by doing so you can still view the original telegram with all the uncensored content but they have now started censoring content for apple and google which is the kind of pressure that these big corporations have been able to apply. So that's a step in the right direction, I would say. Unfortunately, I can't say the same for all these other alternatives mm. that have been coming up. There's been things like BitChute, which is a YouTube alternative, Rumble, which is another YouTube alternative. And of course, there's a wide range of decentralized social media applications, uh, very much built on blockchain and based in cryptocurrencies that, their whole idea is that they're censorship-resistant. They are never going like the whole idea of anything being on a blockchain is that it can never be uh, altered. It can never be removed. So that becomes really problematic when we're talking about deplatforming. The concept of deplatforming does, simply doesn't work on a decentralized space.
1: Especially no there's a lot to deal with. Yeah, with those options and alternatives. You know, on Parlor and other places. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question. We're going to take a break and come back to have you answer because uh, we're up against a break. Um, we know they found new ways to communicate, OK, and, and to spread their conspiracy theories to spread disinformation. Would you say when we come back from the break that the conspiracy theories have grown crazier and larger and is the disinformation even, even more um, false and, and, and lacking truth? Because we know the big lie about the election, we know there are people that believe that President Trump will take his rightful place in the Oval Office in August, despite touring the country with Bill O'Reilly on a speaking uh, tour. Uh, but we will uh, we'll talk more with that guest right after this. I'm Leslie Marshall. We're talking to Kareem Zidane, investigative journalist for and Watch. Back after this, don't go away.
0: If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com.
1: We are back on Leslie Marshall. Welcome back. We are speaking with investigative journalist for Right Wing Watch, Kareem Zidane. Uh, Check out their website, rightwingwatch.org. We're talking with Kareem uh, about uh, the digital presence uh, by the extreme right. And we're talking about conspiracy theories, disinformation, and how that has changed, perhaps grown and morphed into even bigger conspiracy theories and more disinformation since January 6th. Uh, Kareem, is it, is it worse <laughs> as far as the conspiracy theories and the amount of disinformation that these platforms, or these people on these platforms who are extreme uh, are righties uh, and Trump lovers uh, that they're spewing?
2: Well, I think that since we have seen them migrate to these alternative platforms like Telegram and a surge of followers come and join them, it has emboldened them to be a, a lot more, to incite a lot more violence, in my opinion. So generally, the extremist rhetoric has increased uh, tenfold, in my opinion, based on at least what I have been monitoring. And I monitor a wide range of things from fascist fight clubs to, you know, racist uh, fashion brands, to the Proud Boys, to QAnon groups, to all sorts of things. And I have seen an increase in race in in uh, extremist uh, rhetoric from absolutely all of them. As for misinformation, well, I would say the interesting thing here is that there's been like an amalgamation. Uh, you have QAnon has joined with the anti-vax, has joined with also with, with you know, uh, the uh, election fraud narrative, of course, the false election fraud narrative and a wide range of things. I find that the conspiracy theories have all sort of joined together to create this one giant monster that we now have to face. It's very hard, or at least it's a giant Venn diagram. And truly the central circle within this Venn diagram continues to grow and grow and expand, almost taking up the entire space of this Venn diagram. So it's been a little absurd, I think, watching these alternative spaces uh, for the last while, because I've seen even, let's use the Proud Boys as an example, the Proud Boys rhetoric has generally been very standard. Their Western chauvinist mentality, we've seen them at protests, we know, we know what they're about. But there have been recent, let's say, divisions within the group. One, one, one page on Telegram that was known as Proud Boys Uncensored, which was run by one of the Proud Boys chapter leaders at the time, or believed to have been, a guy named Todd M. Clark. He changed the name of the Proud Boys Uncensored page to the Western chauvinist, and has since gone on the most disgusting white nationalist, Anti-Semitic rants I have ever seen on the platform, like truly some of the most vile stuff you will see. To the extent that he, like, he, he even was commenting on like Israel, Palestine stuff. So he was g- going above and beyond what the Proud Boys have historically done, and that tells me that they are emboldened by what's happening. They are emboldened by the fact that now they have this very active social media space that is not impacting them, they cannot necessarily be censored the same way here. And even if they do are censored, like Telegram is doing with Apple devices right now, well, there's ways to circumvent that, as I mentioned earlier, with just downloading the app from the actual Telegram website, using it on your computer or using it on your Android device instead. So they are absolutely emboldened. There is a lot more uh, violence rhetoric and that has not diminished, unfortunately. And they're entering into interesting spaces as well, such as the cryptocurrency space. We're seeing people such as like the so-called Stop the Steal uh, uh, movements leader, Ali Alexander, has uh, disappeared ever since. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of the people who is really inciting a lot of uh, the buildup towards the insurrection in the first place. And he disappeared immediately thereafter. Well, he resurfaced, but he didn't resurface to immediately sort of push his... Political agenda again, he resurfaced to start pushing a decentralized social media space called BitCloud, which is based on cryptocurrencies basically, and the idea that every single individual gets a a monetary value based on their clout or reputation. It's a very strange dystopian environment. And he has since been preaching a lot about uh, decentralized social media spaces, how they cannot remove us from the web, how this is the next fight, and Web 3.0 is the next fight. So, does that narrative is very significant? That narrative is definitely very significant right now, and uh, it's. I think it's only going to grow over the next little while. So whether it be misinformation, whether it be violence, rhetoric, etc., it's only growing as far as I'm concerned.
1: You know, some people look at January 6th as the climax or the end of what happened to this movement. Uh, you cover the far right and have continued to, to cover the far right's relationship to, as you mentioned, parlor, Clubhouse, cryptocurrencies, m- many other things. Uh, you believe, Kareem, uh, I have read that in essence, January 6th may have been the beginning, not the end of the digital movement on the far right. Is that because, um, are, are there numbers, because like you had mentioned, over 100,000, like boom, you know, overnight. Uh, is that because you see this group growing and because you see more areas where they are uh, expressing themselves and, and and maybe gathering more supporters, recruiting people, if you will?
2: Absolutely. It really does come down to that. It comes down to the fact that they were removed from the mainstream platforms, which by losing your Facebook pages or Twitter profiles, that, could, that should be the end of certain play. And, and by the most part, it does relegate them to sort of the dark cesspools of the internet to a certain extent. Yeah. But as more people on the far right continue to adapt, continue to evolve, and continue to understand this new technology as it emerges, so will these movements grow on these platforms. Their ideas will grow and they will adapt to new ways of uh, spreading their message, radicalizing youth and fundraising. The thing I did not get to mention at all here is the fact that they have already found alternative ways to fundraise. And I've already mentioned a couple of these before, but one of them is absolutely cryptocurrencies. This is not to say that all cryptocurrencies are bad, but it is a way for them to monetize without being censored, without being deplatformed. Anybody who wants to send Bitcoin to somebody on the far right and they have their Bitcoin address, nobody can possibly stop them. It's just not possible versus paypal and venmo and all these things can actually block you from sending money to a certain individual so they've already adapted to that and now they're using cryptocurrencies Uh, they're using i have seen fascist fight clubs and racist you know sports apparel brands use telegram and build these pages on telegram so that they can build their own actual customer service on telegram so that they can interact with potential you know their followers and potential subscribers and sell them mm. t-shirts the whole idea is that you're going to either send them a bitcoin or cryptocurrency or you're going to send them a paypal transaction because they're operating on such a small scale that paypal hasn't caught on to them yet i'm right. slowly reporting certain examples i see of paypal being used etc whatever we can do to limit and to deplatform platform we do but they are adapting and growing, and this right. is all new. Stuff like this is, hasn't been around for a few years now. This is mm-hmm. absolutely the new way that they're doing so. And I think it's high time that we, on the other side of the spectrum now, us liberals, us progressives, et cetera, stop being reactionary and start, and by that I mean reacting to how they, well, you know, they've now, they've now moved to cryptocurrencies. Oh no, what do we do? They're using alternative platforms. Oh no, what do we do? What we should actually be doing is monitoring these things Regularly ahead of time, being aware of them, mm-hmm, and if absolutely. anything, utilizing them to our advantage before they become overwhelmed
1: by the other side. In your in your in, in investigative research, um, we have just seen that there are Republicans, twenty-one of them, that voted against a a slam dunk uh, bill. Um, and uh, to, to award one of the country's highest civilian honors, the Congressional Gold Medal to law enforcement officers. Those officers um, that were to defend them and protect them from the pro-Trump extremists who sacked the Capitol, we were all watching in horror. Um, I, the majority of Americans consider what we saw on January 6th an insurrection. The majority of Americans want some kind of a commission and a committee. Uh, they want to find out what happened. They want to know the truth. How powerful... Are these conspirators, these extreme right wing, right wing? Excuse me, organizations. Um, how powerful or or how tight is their hold on Republicans? Because we're seeing in numbers today what approximately thirty percent of voters believe that Trump, the election was a lie, and Trump will be reinstated, which a lot, you know, obviously a lot, if not all of these people on these platforms do. Um, do, do you see? Um, some of these Republicans paying allegiance to these groups? And and if so, why? They're not the majority of the people in their party.
2: Well, it's the idea that applications such as Telegram are now being utilized by more than the traditional far right. It's not the Proud Boy and its supporters. It's not necessarily QAnon adherents, but it's people who are against the concept of censorship. And so we're talking about more mainstream Republicans are actually learning to access these applications and utilize them and interact with them. I mean, Donald Trump Jr., for instance, had an account on Telegram and he had his followers migrating over there to use it as well. There are other there are other you know, social media applications such as Locals, which was created by Dave Rubin, the conservative pundit. I mean, that's going to attract a lot more of the mainstream Republicans. And of course, similar narratives continue to uh, permeate these spaces as well. Uh, I'll use a simple example here again, back to Telegram, because I find it to be the most fascinating one, is that. I regularly see, even if it's a QAnon group, if it's a Boogaloo movement group, whatever sort of group, extremist group we're talking about here, I regularly see links to, say, the Daily Caller, to the Washington Examiner. So they're, they are all sort of reading the same content, spreading the same content, and trying to expand their own echo chamber, trying to sort of solidify their own narratives and find like-minded individuals. It would not surprise me in the slightest if many of those Republicans either subscribe to those Telegram channels, have at least been reading the links that are then sent on to these Telegram channels, but in some way, shape or form, a lot of the same content and the same narrative is passing through different platforms. That's part of the danger right here, Leslie, so that's a great question, honestly.
1: Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, Kareem, you do great work. I love Right Wing Watch. Check them out, rightwingwatch.org on Twitter, at Right Wing Watch. Kareem Zidane, investigative journalist, do you have a Twitter handle you want to share, Kareem, or no?
2: Yes, my Twitter handle is, is at Zidane Sports. It's my old Twitter handle, unfortunately. I intend to change it. That was mainly when I was covering the intersection of sports and politics.
1: Okay, Zidane is Z-I-H-D-A-N. Followed no, him just there
2: Z-I-D-A-N. Sorry. I'm sorry? Z-I-D-A-N.
1: Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you for today. We will have you back on the show. I enjoyed it.
2: Thank you so much, Leslie. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late.
0: Buy four tires at Bell Tires 4th of July sale and get up to $220 in savings or get even more with up to $280 in savings with Bell Tire gift cards. June 22nd through July 3rd. Plus get tires as low as 29 bucks and 0% financing for 12 months. Buy four tires and get up to 220 in savings or up to 280 in savings with Bell Tire gift cards. Either way, start with the lowest tire price period at Bell Tire. Contact free service available. See store or belltire.com for details. Restrictions apply.